The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 16 and we'll dive right on in. I do want to remind you that we're having uh, three uh, Christmas Eve services. Normally on uh, around Christmas time, we only have a Christmas Eve service and, and we won't have a service on Sunday. But this year, Christmas Eve is on Sunday. So we'll have three services on uh, that Sunday morning. I encourage you to invite your friends and family. It'll be a, be a good time as we uh, just kind of celebrate the arrival of, of Christ on the planet. I started to call this message Dysfunctional Faith. And I wrote that down, and, and I looked at it, and I was like, well, that's an oxymoron. Like, if you have faith, you're not dysfunctional. There's no such thing. When we talk about a biblical faith that is based on truth, there's no such thing as dysfunctional faith. Um, there's only faith, and you're living a healthy life, or you are dysfunctional, <laughs> right? So you can't have dysfunctional faith. Now, you could be a person of faith and be dysfunctional, and we're going to see that today, okay? Anybody come in dysfunctional this morning? <laughs> okay. Uh, when you're walking in faith, again, you, you're not a dysfunctional person. In chapter 16, we find unbelief casting its dark shadow across Abraham's life, who is a man of faith. Um, the, one of the, you know, like he's the patriarch of our faith. God comes to him with a promise, and then the rest of the Bible is about working that promise out through the nation of Israel. And so in chapter 15, we seen him last week, it was like incredible, man, he exhibits active faith. And then in chapter 16, he fails in patience and waiting on the faith that he exhibited. They sort of got him to that really cool place where um, he's in this blood covenant with the Lord and, and God comes and appears to him and gives him a prophetic revelation about what would happen to his descendants. And so if you walked in today and you feel dysfunctional, the Lord has a word for you. Okay, And he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to help you in the midst of it. But we have all, at some point in time, walked in this place of dysfunction. And so as we look at this story play out before us historically in Genesis about the nation of Israel and how they um, are promised to be the seed of Abraham and eventually the Messiah would come, and Jesus would show up at, through this seed, we see them getting really dysfunctional, which is... Uh, why we need the Savior to show up. And so I'm encouraged uh, by it because I've experienced dysfunction in my life, and from time to time I get dysfunctional. And I'm not walking in faith, I'm walking in unbelief, and, and I try to avoid that, and I want to help you try to do the same thing. And so I want us to take a, a look at this text and hopefully motivate you to go, wait a minute here, let me think about what I'm doing with my life. And we start in uh, verse 1, and we remember the promise is to Abe and Sarah, this old couple. Um, Abe means father of many, or Abram means father of many. Uh, and I believe Abraham, his name will get changed to Abraham here in the future as we continue unpacking Genesis. And I think it uh, uh, means father of many nations, and so it even gets bigger. But here they are, married, been married quite a long time in their upper 80s and no kids. Your name means father of many. 
It's kind of embarrassing, right? It's kind of hard to have faith uh, in that experience, but that's what they're called to do, and God has come to them and promised them. Even when they thought, Abraham, last week we looked, and he thought that Eleazar, which was his lead servant, this guy he had mentored that he loved, he thought he was going to be his heir and receive all that he had, and God said, no, it will not be him. You're going to have a son with Sarai. But some time has gone on, about 10 years, and it says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, where did this lady come from? Well, if you remember a few weeks ago, during the famine, God didn't tell them to go down to Egypt. Abraham took things into his own hands. He went to Egypt. Then he lied, and we see his dysfunction being played out there. And he gets humbled while he's down in Egypt. And the Pharaoh gives him servants. And that's where this lady came from. His Pharaoh gave Hagar to Abraham and Sarah. And so she hadn't, Sarah hadn't had any children. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, wives, that's not a good advice to give your husband right there. Like, that's not good. Um, and what does Abram do? He agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Elevates her from servant, slave, to another wife. Now, We'll get into this here in a moment. Maybe I should explain it now. Is slavery okay? No, it's not okay. It's what's going on. Is polygamy okay? No, it is not okay. But this is what's going on, man. It's dysfunctional. The Bible never says, God never said, hey, go take you another wife. There's several people who do it in the scripture. God never approves of it. And we see that the scripture clearly laid out um, that God, when he created the first human being, said the two shall be one. That he united them in marriage, and that is always God's um, idea and ordination and design for uh, marriage is that it be between one man and, and one woman. And, and so here they're, they're kind of going around that, and, and they're becoming very dysfunctional. And so he, he, he goes into her, and um, he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Now, like slavery during this period of time is not like the slavery we know that we've been taught about in America and in history. It was, it was totally different. Um, a matter of fact, you could voluntarily become a slave. You could owe somebody money and you could just say, um, I'm going to pay you back by becoming your servant and I'm pledging myself to you. And, that's, and now you're responsible for taking care of my needs. And, and so it was more... It could be voluntary. It could be that there was a battle that happened and you, you were um, the spoils of the battle and maybe your husband's killed and you're carried off and now you are a part of this household. It could be, uh, young people, 
that your parents owed some money and they just sold you, right? Um, that's how slavery happens sometimes. It wasn't like, the, it's, it's like, well, we owe you, then you, here's our son. Son, you go work off this debt. Now, with five kids, we might have a pretty nice house if we still doubt that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, and so that it, it was different. Uh, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is it was different. And, and so here's what I, I really believe that, that, that Hagar and Sarai probably had a really close relationship, much like Eleazar and Abr- Abram did. I mean, Abram was tight with Eleazar, and he was, was going to give him everything when he died. If he didn't have any descendants, he was going to give it all to Eleazar. I believe that over this uh, long period of time and their departure, uh, remember, they, they've left and gone into this land with no family, and so um, Sarai probably bonded really well with Hagar, and they, they loved each other. I mean, why else would you choose this person to go in to be with your husband? You felt like you could trust this person. There's a deeper relationship relationship going on here. And so this will work out, man. Uh, you go in. I want to have children. God said we were going to have children. And so she sends her in and, and, and she gets pregnant. And when she recognizes she's pregnant, she shifts, man, and she starts despising Sarai. And so he's uh, so she says, um, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. No, well, I've been there before. <laughs> I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Um, and, and, and so Abe, he looks at her and he's like, well, your slave is in your hands. You, you do whatever you want, um, whatever you think is best. And so here in this moment, like Abraham is in a position where um, he, the, or, or Hagar is in this position where she is a slave and then she is elevated to wife and then she's reduced back down to slave again. And so, so we see incredible dysfunction taking place um, in this family. And, and so he says, you, 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 you deal with it. You do whatever you, you want. And so then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her, all right? And then it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. So she fled, um, or so the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And so she's headed back to Egypt. And we know this because that's the path. This spring is in between where she was in Canaan and where she was headed in Egypt. And he said to her, Hagar, Slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress, submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. So we have an ultrasound taking place, okay? He says, now, I know you're pregnant, and not only are you pregnant, you're going to have a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery, and he will be a wild donkey of a man. 
And his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she says, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Leiroi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So there's a lot going on in this text, and we're going to look at a lot of the dysfunction, okay? And it's good for us to look at it, because we need to be reminded um, about consequences in our lives as believers. But before we look at the dysfunctional side of things, let's talk just real quickly about how God's promises work and how we are, how we are to walk uh, out our obedience to Christ and as we walk out what we believe. How's this thing supposed to work? Well, how God's promises function, are, it's very simple, is that faith in faith, we believe. We believe in faith what God has said. So we, we believe, even in the story that we're reading today, we believe that this is God's word that he left to us and he preserved for us. We believe that a Messiah would come. We believe that Jesus was that Messiah that was prophesied about in the word. We believe that that Messiah that came was not just a normal man. He was born of a virgin. He was God incarnated in human flesh. And that he became a human being and he willingly gave himself on the cross of Calvary in order to uh, be a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. And so faith believes that. And when I come to a place that I recognize I'm a sinner apart from God, I need forgiveness of my sins, and I believe that Jesus is the solution to my sin problem, I have faith. That's what faith is. The second piece of that is that hope needs to be there. And hope when it comes to a promise of God, because now all the promises of the kingdom, which are yes and amen, are available to me. But now I have entered in, and I've tried to use this metaphor that we found in Isaiah, that we enter into the highway of holiness when we believe that Jesus was God and he died for us, and we call upon him to save us. Then we are indwelt with the Spirit of God. Now we're tri traveling on the highway of holiness. So all of the promises of the kingdom, which are yes and amen, are available to us. And we walk in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. We listen to God through His Word. He speaks to us. He uses other believers. He uses the foolishness of preaching to teach us things. And He helps us hear His voice. And we follow hard after Him. And, 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 and we try to walk in obedience that we might live that life that Jesus talked about um, that is abundant instead of allowing the enemy to steal our lives away from us. And so when when we enter into that relationship, now we, in hope, anticipate not only our arrival eternally into heaven, but we anticipate the promises of the kingdom coming into our lives as we walk out our obedience to Christ. And then third, 
we patiently wait quietly for it, okay? So this is a classic picture of bow hunting, okay? That's what you do, man. You believe something's going to happen. You anticipate and hope, and it doesn't happen more than it does happen, but you keep anticipating, and you wait quietly in patience. And then when it happens, it's a glorious thing. The kingdom is the same way. You believe what God said. You anticipate and hope that what he said about you, your salvation, you, eternally you're going to spend with him, but also what he says about put, put, pouring out his favor on your life. And so you anticipate and hope in anticipation, and then you just be quiet and be patient and wait on him to move. Anything beyond this is dysfunctional on the highway of holiness. When you quit doing that, when you quit doing that in relationships, you're on the highway of holiness, you've just gotten down in the bar ditch and you're driving off-road. You're not on the highway anymore. You're still going to heaven. <laughs> you're, still, you're still on the highway. You're just not where the highway like is smooth. You've gone off-roading. You've taken a detour. And if you travel this way very long, someone is going to get hurt. And you start to drive erratically. You start to drive crazy, man. And just like if you're driving down the highway here in Kansas City, man, you're driving crazy and a law enforcement officer, he's like, you're all over the road. And he pulls you over. He's like, what are you drinking? He's like, no, I'm just checking my phone, right? And either one is bad, like you pay attention to what's going on around you, you are a dysfunctional driver. And because you're dysfunctional, you're going to get this ticket. And you're like, thank you. Right? And they, they're going to hit you hard, man. And you either put that thing in diversion and spend some extra money, or your insurance company is going to hit you too. And it just keeps having consequences. And so we see that, that traveling on the highway of holiness in a dysfunctional way leads us to a place where people start to get hurt. This is extremely important for the enjoyment of your journey as you travel down the highway of holiness. So like in 2007, I did my first mission trip. I'd never gone on a mission trip outside of the country. And uh, so I, I don't like to go outside of the country. I'm an American and I believe in American rights. And I'm always afraid that I'm going to be the guy who gets arrested and put in some jail cell somewhere, and the government's not going to come and save me because I'm not worth anything, right? <laughs> and I'm going to die over there. And, and I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. Um, and <laughs> so I had never been on a mission trip, so I decided that, you know, I should go, man. I should go and felt the Lord calling me in this one particular place. And so I, I, I just did the short putt and went to Africa, right? More specifically, the Ivory Coast. And during this time, it was in a civil war. We passed through 17 checkpoints. There were teenagers with AK-47s. It was nerve-wracking. The guy who was the leader said, don't worry, they don't have any money, they have no ammunition, right? I don't care. It looks like they are scary, man. Um, but anyway, um, I, I went on this trip. And to get there, and you know, try to speed this story up, but we, we left high anticipation. We've got, we're excited about going, and I think there's like tw maybe 20 people on the team, 25, 30, something like that. And uh, me and uh, the guy who went from our church, our job was to kind of be the videographers of this trip and to kind of tell the story to bring back home. 
And uh, so we, we fly from, um, you know, out of Oklahoma to I don't remember where, maybe Chicago. And then from Chicago, we flew to France. And that was a long flight, you know. Uh, and, and I don't even remember how long it was, but it was too long. And then we got to Paris. We had a few hours in Paris. We ran around to see some of the sights, but we had to get up early in the morning because we were going to catch another plane from out of France um, into uh, Abidjan in the Ivory Coast. And I think that was six hours. So that was a long flight. We hit the ground in Abidjan, not um, anything like Chicago or Paris. <laughs> and uh, strange smell in the air. Uh, and we, we stay the night there at like a missionary residence place. And then we get up and we have to drive 17 hours to the interior of the country. And so we split up in different vehicles. <laughs> and the vehicle I was in was a minivan. And it wasn't like a Honda Odyssey. It was more like a VW van, like from old school in the 70s. But it was newer. It was a Mitsubishi, I think. It had a real flat nose, tight in there, held a lot of people. Um, was just this rugged thing. We get in this thing and we drive all day long and into the night, um, half the trip. You're, you're not, it's not like driving uh, in, on our interstates at all. It was pretty much two-lane highway the whole time. And, but it, it, was, it was manageable. No air conditioning, so we had the windows rowed down. I remember we, it, we, we, didn't, you didn't, we did not see one gas station. <laughs> like we, we had to make it like so far and this, like the treat at this African quick trip was they did have a Diet Coke and it was glorious, man. I can't, I was like, oh, this is just so good. And we bought bananas from a guy on the side of the road. We stayed the night at a Bible college when we made half that trip, finished the next 17 hours the next day, got up early, left, departed. The last 50 miles of the trip took us two hours. It was like being at your grandfather's um, farm and driving across the pasture on a dirt road. The windows were rode down. The, the, the dirt was red. It was coming in the vehicle. You had to hold a scarf over your face. I remember <laughs> the guy who went with me, he had a white T-shirt on, and it was just red like this Chiefs jersey. Go Chiefs, amen? And... Uh, and, and, and then we finally got there, man. It was, it was the worst road trip of my life, right? We were there like nine days. I had to turn around and do it all again. And when, when we got to the airport and I saw that Air France plane, I thought I was in heaven. Like, it looked like a Rolls Royce, man. I was like, I cannot wait to get on that airplane. Leather seats. Now, before, it was awful. But the trip was just kept getting better on the way back. And, and so why am I telling this story? To live in dysfunctional, uh, to be dysfunctional as a believer and to walk in this place of unbelief is like intentionally putting yourself in the Mitsubishi and living your life on the last 50 miles of the trip, just bumpy and slow. And they're believers who, because they know they're on the highway of holiness and they know eternally that they're destined to be with Jesus, they're like, this is not that big a deal, but you don't understand how screwed up and rough your life is because of how you're living it. 
And the Lord doesn't want you to do that. And we see this being played out in Abraham's life. Now, the good news is, is that we all have, at some point or another, we have had some dysfunction in our lives, and, and, and we know the Lord, uh, and the Lord continues to work in that, and we're going to see that. But I hope that you will take this message, and, and, and if you are in, like, not if you, you are in dysfunction. There's somewhere in your life right now you're, 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 you're dysfunctional. And you've got to look at that and go, I need to bring faith over here, or this dysfunction is going to reproduce itself. Somehow, some way, I'm gonna, it's going to reproduce itself in my life. So you want to look at that, and you want to reduce the dysfunction, because all we're saying about dysfunction is it's a place of your life where there's unbelief. It doesn't determine your eternal destination. You know Jesus. You believe he was the sacrifice for your sins. And so you are saved. You are in faith. You, you trust him. But if you have unbelief in your life, here you are off the highway trying to get to your final destination, taking the rough ride instead of, regardless of the circumstances, being able to enjoy the experience. And so the first thing is just how, how does functional faith, how does God's promises function? And then we get right into the first takeaway uh, of dysfunction. Whatever is sown must be reaped. <laughs> it doesn't matter, young people, that you're going to heaven. It doesn't matter, folks, that you know the Lord and you, you, you've known about Jesus for a while. Whatever you are putting in the ground right now, you're going to pick it down the road. And just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you are not going to reap that harvest. Grace forgives the sin and restores the soul, but whatever's put in the ground is coming up for a harvest. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter how much faith you have in, for God to do something. We see in this story the father of our faith, the first person to believe God's promise. We see in his story that he reaps what he put in the ground. When we try to do things without God, things get complicated. And, and, and faith is abandoned. Human wisdom enters into the picture. It is a worldly wisdom. It is embraced. And you get caught up in a chain of causes and effects that bring lasting trouble. It just, it just, it just begets itself and just over and over. And, and, and you find yourself starting to pick these plants and having to deal with them and you recognize um, that it is not that pleasant. Sarai took matters into her own hands. Be careful, okay? Be careful when you want to get something. You want to buy this house, and you're like, this is our dream house, man, I love this house. And you're excited about this house, and then things start to fall apart. And like the bank is like, well, we got a trouble with this or this inspection over here, this, oh, this is questionable. And you, you're like, well, we, we can deal with that. Well, well, we'll borrow some money from somebody else to make sure that we have enough for the down payment if they're requiring that of us. Instead of going, wait a minute, man, is the Lord trying to keep me from getting in over my head? Is the Lord trying to protect me? You can take things into your own hands and you can circumvent what the Lord is trying to protect you from instead of having faith and believing that God will take care of you, having anticipation and, and hope and anticipation and patiently waiting quietly and going, well, if this is a no, then God has another house for us. He has something else for us. He has another vehicle for me. Amen? Ladies, he has another man for you. Young girls, he has another man for you. Men, 
He has the right woman for you. Now you can circumvent him and you can take matters into your own hands and you can look at your husband or your, or your future husband, the guy you're dating or the, or the young lady that is so attractive and, and, and you could go, well, I think I can disciple her. And you grab it into your own hands and the Lord may be saying, hey, I've got somebody for you, but if you are not gonna listen to me, you can enter that marriage and I'm not gonna like disown you. Like, I'm not going to tell you you're not my child anymore. You're still going to heaven. You're still on the highway of holiness. But just remember, son, just remember, daughter, whatever you put in the ground is going to grow. And if you don't trust me and you don't listen to me, like if you don't hear my voice, like, like we see the Lord constantly trying to protect us um, from these things. He's constantly working in our midst, trying to guard us and and the enemy is always trying to take from us. Like, and notice this. The Lord says, hey, you shouldn't have sex until you're married. Now, you're not going to hear that in a lot of churches today. But you're going to see it in the Word. It's biblical. Now, notice this. <laughs> I, a friend of mine, this is not original to me. I think it's a great thought. But the devil, before you're married, does everything he do- can to try to get you to have sex before you seal your vows before the Lord. Then after you're married, the devil does everything he can to try to keep you from having sex in your marriage. <laughs> so if, you're, if that's going on in your life, hey, the guys are going to love this. <laughs> if you are not having good sex in your marriage, you're dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional. There's no belief in that because that's not what God has designed. And and so like the enemy's constantly working and we need to understand, man, hey, and and if that's you, you're like, geez, man, I I wasn't looking for that one. This was funny until you said that. (laughs) That's an area of unbelief in your life and you've got to recognize it. I'm not trying to beat anybody up, man. Uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to help the bros out. No, I'm kidding. Seriously, it's like it's it's a it's a barometer. It's a barometer for the health of your relationship, and, and, and so like the enemy. I don't I don't know who needs that. I didn't say that in the first service, but there you go. <laughs> and so Sarah takes matters into her own hands, and all I'm trying to say is we are going to always be tempted with these things, all kinds of different ways. We're always going to be tempted. Instead of walking in faith and waiting on God, we're going to be tempted to take it into our own hands. So be careful. Abe follows his wife's lead and stumbles badly. Men, be careful. We have too many weak men in the church today. There are too many men who rely on their wives to be the spiritual leader. There are too many men who think that, well, I earn the money. You make sure the kids know about Jesus. You are a man of God. Man up and lead your family. 
Like it is not strong for you to act that way. It is weak. It is, it, and I am in no way, shape, or form am I trying to say, you tell your wife everything you sh- she should do. That's not what that, uh, th- this is about. This is about you listening to the Lord and your wife looking at you and going, that guy, man, he follows Jesus. Your kids look at you and go, that guy follows Jesus. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus like dad follows Jesus. And your wife looks at you and says, man, I can trust my husband because he follows Jesus. Instead of the women having to lead and take the lead role in spiritual matters, um, God has designed it that we as men are to lead out in this. And when we're not, then they will take matters into their own hands, and God hasn't designed it that way, and there's dysfunction in the marriage, and we're supposed to be a power couple, and the wife is bringing everything she has spiritually, and the husband is bringing everything he has spiritually, and the two become one flesh. They are a power couple in the kingdom, and they are leading the children as one instead of two. And instead of saying, well, mom is the one who knows more about the word. I want to just tell you this. I'll throw it down right here. I don't care. I don't care. If you are okay with your wife knowing more about the word than you are as a man, you are weak. Weak. And if you would say that, you need to just back up and go, what am I doing? Like, this is, we're talking about the most important truth that you could ever lay down for your children is the eternal destiny of your soul. And you're just like, well, that's a woman's thing. And the church has become feminine. I mean, one of the things, man, as soon as I, I, I took a church and I became the pastor, man, I, the, you ever notice like uh, the church has always got flowers and man, it's got pretty pastel colors. You ever notice we don't have that? <laughs> Why don't we have that? Because we, the church should not be just a feminine place. And, and the reason it's that way is because men have abdicated their role, man. And so I have a heart and a desire to be a church that has men in it that understand, man, your primary role as a human being is to know and love God, is to shepherd your family and teach them how to know and love God. And, and, and you, you, your wife is going to play her role and she's going to do those things, but it is not okay to say, well, that's her thing, and, and I don't have to worry about that. I, I earn the money. No, man, you are uh, uh, an image bearer of God, and, and you lead the family. You shepherd the family. You pastor your home. Uh, so I have always intentionally tried to do things uh, to be more masculine, to try to attract men to the church so that we could be the church that God wants us to be and not be okay with just supporting the church. This is one of the reasons, man, you look at the design of the cross, that thing is made out of heavy metal, right? Why? Because I want our church to reflect to the community there's something really cool going on there, not something really soft. Uh, if you're visiting today um, and you look for, you're looking for a nice ch- church to go to, a soft place, <laughs> you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Like, but no apologies, man. No apologies. Because I'm not, in any way, shape, or form, I'm not saying, 
The husband doesn't listen to his wife. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that he leads her. He loves her. He, he lives for his wife like Christ lives for the church. And, and he, he just understands his role. And, and men, everything in society is telling us um, that, that men suck. Like, um, it started, like, if you could see it, it used to be, man, when I was growing up, it, it, Charles Ingalls, man, Little House on the Prairie, man, that dude knew how to do everything. I mean, he could fix stuff, build stuff, he could do conflict management, he read the Bible, I mean, like, he could do everything. And then all of a sudden, Al Bundy came up, and he can't do anything, Right? And so you're like wondering, what, it's the dumbing down, it's strategic to try to get men, um, to try to think the wrong thing about men. I am way off topic. <laughs> but be careful, men. Be careful. Because you're, you're becoming dysfunctional for your family. Um, lead how God has designed you. Hagar, man, she runs from her problem. What? It's not my fault I'm here. Like, they're the ones that drug me out of Egypt. They drug me out of Egypt. Then she's the one that told me to go in and sleep with her husband. She's the one that has authority over me. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And she's running from her problem. She was supposed to be submitting to the authority of Sarai over her, even though Sarai was mistreating her. She starts running. And that's generally what happens, man, when we get into a place of dysfunction. Even if somebody else caused the dysfunction in our lives, we will jump right in the middle of the dysfunction and justify it because we think it's their fault. And we just start running. So be careful if you're running away from something. It's obvious that this was not God's way of solving their dilemma. (laughs) It's not what God would have had them do. Instead of waiting patiently, Abe operated in the flesh. And the man of faith becomes dysfunctional. He walks by sight, and it equals trouble. Ishmael is the ancestor of the Arabs who are still hostile to the Jews today. And that's why there's a war over there. Like This this, this would prophesy that this is what would happen. No, and no, again, I'm not saying Arab people are, are hostile. I'm saying nationally, as it played out, like obviously Hagar is being visited by the angel of the Lord, and so he has a heart for all people, but nationally the way it played out is in the prophecy that we're reading about today. And so the good news is that despite all the dysfunction and the mess, is God still worked in it. And he starts by bringing a word of truth to the least and the lost. He finds Hagar. And the next thing we learn before we get to the big idea is you have to work the soil before you can sow new seed. You have to work the soil before you can sow new seed. We see this being taught by the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord is Jesus. And people say, well, I I like the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Jesus right there in the New and Old Testament. As a matter of fact, what's fascinating is the angel of the Lord, because she calls him Lord, and then she gives him the name, um, uh, what was it, Beer Beer Lehiroi, which means the God who sees me. He comes to her, a woman who is an outcast in society, the lowest of people, a slave who 
is been mistreated and on the run by herself at a well, Jesus shows up in the Old Testament, just like he did in the New Testament. He shows up to the woman at the well who'd been married five times, and he's like, points out her sin, and then he starts dropping truth on her. He comes to this woman. Thousands of years before that, he takes on, this is known as a Christophany. It's when God takes on um, flesh in the Old Testament, and he appears to human beings, and he appears to her, and she knew of this God because she had been living with Abraham a long time. And he comes to her, and he, he asks her, hey, uh, uh, Hagar, what? Where, where have you come from? Where are you going? What are you doing out here? Now, she was on her way back to Egypt. <laughs> and, and as he comes to her, he comes in and he tells her a few very important things. He says to her, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of, I know you're pregnant. And I know the, son, the, the child is going to be a boy, and his name is going to be Ishmael. That's what I want you to name him, which is really interesting because there are only a couple of women in the Bible who name children. It's usually the men. But she tells, he tells her what to name him, and she takes it back to Abraham and tells him. And, and, and so, but he says, here's the promise. He, 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 there's going to be problems. He's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. But I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of him, and, and and I need you to believe this. I need you to hope and anticipate this. And then I need you to quietly go back to, a, uh, to Sarai and submit to her. Go back where you came from. And, and in that, I think God is saying, look, I brought you out of Egypt with them. And I want you to know, I want to know you just like I know them. And he's ministering to her, even though there's going to be dysfunction in the mess. And, and when we run, it's always hard to go back. I mean, she's going to have to go back and apologize for uh, being disrespectful and despising Sarai and re do some conflict re resolution to resolve the problem in the relationship. But she humbles herself and she goes back. We, the reason it's hard to go back, and some of you are at this place where the Lord is saying, you need, you need to believe, turn around and go back. Is, is because we can't see how it works. I don't see how this could work out. I don't see how this marriage could work out. I don't see how this situation and this relationship can work out with this friend. Um, I don't see how, I, I just don't see it. And that's why we must lay aside our worldly wisdom and return to the way the Lord has given us to walk in. You're not supposed to see it. What you're supposed to do is believe it. And then you're supposed to anticipate it with hope, your hope in it. And then you patiently wait quietly for it and quit taking things into your own hands or you're just going to keep putting bad seed in the ground. To believe is not only to embrace the promise. To believe is to believe that you have sinned. Do you believe when you sin that you've actually sinned? And you, you can't ever embrace the promise until you believe that you have sinned. Repentance can't take place until sin is acknowledged. And so he tells her, return and submit. You see, faith and repentance are linked together like a chain. 
They just go together. And God will come to us and he will speak to us and he will convict us. And in those moments when he's convicting us, all he's doing is calling us to repent, to, to believe not only that I forgive you, but believe you sinned. Believe in your, that you sinned in this moment enough that you will repent of it from the heart instead of convincing yourself that it's okay to stay in this lifestyle because you're on the highway of holiness and going to be in heaven anyway. And so they're, in, they're, they're, they're linked forever. Sarai blamed God for no children. The Lord, she says, has kept me from not having kids. And then she did wrong, and others followed her in her sin. The giving of Hagar was a social custom. It was not a divine custom. It was never okay to do that. So how did they get here? You want to know how they got here? Everybody in the culture was doing it. Just look around, man. All the Canaanites are doing this. Well, Joe over there, Abraham's like, Sarah, I said, man, why don't you go in and you, you take my servant and she could be your wife too. And maybe we can have a family through her. We don't have any kids. And Abraham's like, looking down, so, well, you know, Joe over there, he's got two wives. And I don't know, Sam, he's got six. What's going to hurt me if I have two? I mean, I'm on the highway of holiness. You got two wives, but you just doubled your trouble too, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was never God's plan for you. And so uh, it, was, it was never what God had wanted. And, and again, anybody who's walked through, through divorce or anything like that would tell you, man, it is no fun, right? And, and so you want to be sensitive because you, you, you have to recognize um, when, when, you're, when you're listening to the Lord, because if, if you're not, man, you're, you're, you're putting this stuff in the ground that you're going to have to reap. And once you, once you start reaping it, you got to recognize it so that you start working the soil so you could put new stuff in the ground. And so she, she takes matters into her own hands, and we see that dysfunction basically looks like this. Here's the formula. Blame God, do wrong or sin, things fall apart, then you blame other people. And the reality is, it's you. It's your sin. And you got to own it. And you got to believe, I've sinned. Like, I, this is me. Like, there's there no, no, no excuse for this. It's not my parents' fault. It's not because my parents are strict. That's not why you're in this mess. You are in this mess because you sinned. You got to believe it. And when you own it, then you've busted up the ground and you're ready to return and start planting new seed. Hagar returns, and she says to them, Abe, Sarah, I'm back. And the God who spoke to you saw me, and I saw him. As a matter of fact, I call him Ben Lahiroi, right? The God who sees and he knew I was pregnant. I didn't even tell him. And he told me, Abe, that I was going to have a son, and his name is to be Ishmael, which means God hears. God sees, God hears. Now, they were all comforted by this, but Abe and Sarai were convicted. They recognized they had stumbled, and it won't be the last time they stumble. 
but they recognized it. And Abe's still a man of faith and he walks it out, but things get complicated. And so as we look at all this and we think about it and we go, man, like, what's the big idea of today's talk? Where have you come from and where are you going today? When you walked in, where did you come from and where are you going? The Lord is an ever-present help and he wants to bless us. He wants, to, he, he wants to pour out his blessing on our lives. And we read this story, man, and here's, here's what happens. Is we go, man, if, he knew, if God knew that they were going to be hostile and all this, why, 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 why did God let that happen? Why would God let that happen? You see what we do? Is we're blaming God. We're doing the same thing Sarah did. And people say, I don't understand why God would let that happen. And God's response to you is, I don't understand why you don't believe me. Because if they'd have just believed him, it had never happened. And so when we're walking through life, God is looking at us and saying, hey, I see you. I hear you. And I want to walk in life with you. But if we keep taking the will in our own hands without listening and seeing him, and hearing him, then we're getting off track and things get rough in our lives. And so today, I want you to be encouraged that regardless of your dysfunction, God sees you, God hears you. Do you see God and do you hear God? Where have you come from and where are you going? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you need to repent today, not just to, to the Lord, but to your spouse. You need to ask for forgiveness, maybe to your parents, but maybe you just need some time to get on your face before the Lord, and we want to give you that opportunity. Certainly not required, like the Lord can meet you wherever you're at, but sometimes it's good and healthy for us to come and lay down a memorial stone. And if you would like someone to pray over you, or even you just want to pray by yourself, just come kneel and, and pray. Or come and ask one of the people at the front to pray with you, and they will be glad to pray with you. But if you need... If you need to pray, like if, like if you... If you need to seek the Lord... What do you need to believe about his promise? And what do you need to maybe believe about your sin right now? And I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.